Hey guys, and welcome to the Peaks and Valleys podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Ridgely. In this podcast, we talk about coffee, culture, and mental health. Thanks for joining, and we hope you enjoy this episode. What is up, Peaks and Valleys fam? Welcome to another episode of the Peaks and Valleys podcast, where we talk coffee, culture, and mental health. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my co-host, the one and only Kyle Ridgely. What's up? Today on the podcast, we have a very special episode for you guys. This is a our part two to our part one last week, Let's Talk About Porn. Today on the podcast, we have Abigail Ernesty joining us all the way from Dallas, Texas. Hi, I'm so excited to join you guys today. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, Abigail. Quick, um, quick story about how this episode um, came about two weeks ago. An organization called um, Trafficking Hub um, in Exodus Cry as well, right, Abigail? Yes. yes. So, so Exodus Cry is the nonprofit, and Trafficking Hub is a campaign of Exodus Cry. Right. Okay. And so two weeks ago, they had a protest um, to MindGeek, which is the parent company of Pornhub. It was a in-person and online protests, um, the LA offices, um, at the Montreal offices also, correct, Abigail? Yes, and uh, yeah, and the ones in the UK too. Okay, awesome. And so, you know, I joined in on the online protests uh, towards MindGeek and Pornhub, and Abigail actually reached out to me and said, hey, I was there, I, I have um, video on my, on my Instagram, uh, capturing the day, you should check it out. And so when me and Kyle originally recorded this episode, I remembered um, Abigail sending that message and just looking at her profile, seeing that she is an activist in the area of uh, fighting against pornography and, and trafficking. And so I reached out to her. I was like, hey, would you want to come on and just use your voice, educate people on trafficking and pornography? Um, she, she graciously accepted this random guy, just messenger and um, so she's here, and, and we're glad to have her um, on here and have this conversation. Just shed some light on some things and um, just educate you guys. And moving from um, just what we call, we'll go into it more, but just the trendy activism into actually stepping into this fight um, into real activism. And so I'll give it to you, Abigail. Um, let you share a little bit of your story and how you got onto this. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again for just having me today. It's really exciting to get to have conversations with people who are moving beyond social media and really, um, seeking to amplify the voices of people who are invested in ending trafficking in the world. And that's just exciting to me. It's always makes me really happy to know that people are moving the needle forward. So I'm very excited to have this conversation, but a little bit about how I got started in this. I grew up um, as a missionary kid and 
living mostly in East Africa and just was really accustomed to going places in the world. And I was at a mission conference um, during high school and I saw a documentary called Nefarious, The Merchant of Souls. Um, you can actually watch it today free on YouTube. And um, it just sparked this realization in me of the global, um, global slavery that is still happening around our world today. And um, that, that documentary just marked me in a way to where I could not shake it. I was continuing to go on with my plans. I had no plans <laughs> to become a social activist. I was going to like be a baker and have a cafe. And so I didn't see my life moving in that direction. But um, I just became really discontent with sort of checking all the normal boxes that people do when they are um, moving from high school to college. And so I took a year off and I ended up going to Southeast Asia and serving in some of the biggest red light districts and brothels in the world. And it was in that time, I really started to understand the global scale of um, just commercial sexual exploitation. And instead of these numbers that we always see, it became faces and it became stories and it became people um, to me. And in that, I just really became passionate um, about um, advocating for these people um, and creating better opportunities for them so that they could do non-exploitive work. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I have grown. I ended up going back to school and getting my degree and um, just continued to pursue this work for now almost seven years of just working in the anti-trafficking field and um, continuing again to like push that needle forward of ending modern day slavery. Awesome. Well, thank you for your heart. Um, thank you for um, being willing to just raise awareness and wave this banner and be in this fight. Um, you know, we, we need people like you in this fight and we appreciate you just being willing to have this conversation again and just educate us, educate our listeners um, and, and move us into some real activism, some real steps that we can take. Um, before we really jump into the meat of this, um, so our podcast is Coffee, Culture, Mental Health. And the first thing I noticed on your Instagram was it says most likely to be found in a coffee shop. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> I love coffee. It's what I'm obsessed with. Um, I Yeah, there's just no words for to really truly describe how much I love coffee, how much <laughs> coffee I drink. And so literally every single year when you do those superlatives in school, mine was always voted most likely to be in a coffee shop. So <laughs> I am aware with pride. I think it's a good place to be found. <laughs> I 100% agree. I 100% agree. What's your What's your favorite brew method? Oh, I am the type of person that like brings my coffee with me when I go places because I don't know what type of coffee is going to be there. And I'm really passionate about it. So yeah, those are my favorites. Admit my coffee, like... I'm good to go for some really good coffee. So awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself, Abigail. And we'll just um, jump into this conversation. And the, the first thing that I want to start with is I, I know there's a lot of myths around trafficking, what trafficking is, what it looks like. And so kind of four main myths and kind of dis, dispelling um, 
and, and disarming those myths around trafficking. Yeah. Um, so the one I think of, there are a lot of myths, but to just do a couple, I think we could start with um, just the idea that, you know, trafficking victims are always kidnapped and held captive. Um, the majority of women that I have worked with over the last six years and the survivors that I know um, of the commercial sex industry were trafficked by someone that they know and trust. Um, and so I think it's really important for all of us to be aware that if we are looking at trafficking as though it's synonymous with kidnapping, that we're likely going to miss the people in our neighborhoods who are actually vulnerable to exploitation. So to kind of go back a little bit, the way that I tra define trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerabilities, both of the human heart and physical circumstances. So the human heart is, you know, we all have a desire to be known and to be loved and to be long and to feel wanted. And so it's that and then physical circumstances, which might look like being in foster care. It might look like having a broken family. It might look like being a refugee. Um, it might look like um, being LGBTQA+. So there are different circumstances in our lives, depending on where we live in society, that create um, gaps in vulnerability. And so traffickers prey on those vulnerabilities in order to exploit someone. Um, and so there are a lot of different types of traffickers, a lot of different types of trafficking, but it's really important to know that it's not always someone who's being held, um, who's being held captive, like locked in the back of a room. It is more than, more often it is someone that they know and trust. And so it, it works as, um, they, traffickers work as brilliant, brilliant manipulators um, who really know how to read a person's needs and then basically sell them a lie of a better life. So that's the first myth that I would say um, is really important to, to um, have clarity on. The second one, I think, is that trafficking, you know, always requires some sort of sexual act. Um, the truth really is that child porn, exploitation, trafficking are all very different crimes, and we have to know the signs. A lot of times the media um, headlines will say, trafficking this or trafficking that. And the reality is it might be sexual servitude. It might be sexual exploitation, but it's not necessarily trafficking. You know, for it to be trafficking, it has to have a seller, a buyer, and a person that's being victimized. Um, and so if it doesn't include those three things, it doesn't really fit um, the United Nations or the, um, the U.S.'s definition of trafficking. So I know it's easy to think like, oh, but I saw that one movie that one time that all trafficking is like that. Um, but in reality, it, there are so many different things and commercial sexploitation, you know, includes prostitution, pornography, trafficking of children for sexual purposes, child sex tourism, forced marriage. Um, and of course, all trafficking is child abuse, but not all child abuse is trafficking. Um, and so comes from somebody that, you know, and so what are like some signs to look for, things to look for, um, mm -hmm. things that kind of tell you, 
maybe I should be pay, paying attention to the situation or this person. Um, what are what are some of those signs between people that know each other um, and somebody's trafficking somebody? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question because um, I think it's really, it, it is very jarring for people to know. So the type of trafficking that happens with, let's just use the example of family. So 50, we know that statistically 52% of trafficking is familial, meaning that someone in your family is trafficking you. So when we look at that, I would say there's different things to look for depending on if it's a child or if it's someone who's a teenager um, or an adult. But I think being really conscious of like who, what is the relationship between this person and the child? You know, is that, do they, are they always kind of like looking to be away with the child? Um, like moving them away from groups of people? Uh, are there, is there like, are, does the child say like, oh, I need to keep a secret? That is, it's really, I think, important for people to, um, to be, as adults, for us to be cognitive of telling kids in our lives. There's a really big difference between secrets and surprises. And adults shouldn't be asking kids to keep secrets. Um, and so being aware of those kinds of things. And again, I think it really comes down to, I think specifically with, with children, and, and obviously if you're teaching this to children and it's something they're keeping with them as they grow up and is being like reiterated, it's really important, I think, to talk about what is consent, right? So like when you're like tickling a kid or playing with a kid and they're like, no, no, stop, Everyone, I think, needs to be stopping to teach that kid that, like, if you say no, that's actually a complete sentence, and um, people should respect that. And so just in general, um, teaching kids that consent and teaching them the difference between safe and unsafe and unwanted touch is so important because that way they know what healthy boundaries look like. And if they have healthy boundaries then they're going to know when someone, they're going to know and feel like they have the agency and the voice to speak up when someone comes in and violates those boundaries. So I think it's really important to lay that as the foundation, but I would definitely pay attention to anyone who's trying to isolate kids, anyone who is talking to them online, what their social media platforms look like, and to be aware of, you know, some people say, well, I have parental controls on my stuff. And I'm like, Okay, but just be aware that like video games, um, I've worked so many different cases where um, the person talked to the child through a video game um, and that led to their trafficking experience um, and, you know, people's Instagram DMs. So I think if you're the adult in this situation in a, in a child's life to be really aware of those things and to talk and to be open about like with people, if people are sliding into your DMs as a teenager, giving your kid actually like the tools to say like, okay, this is what I'm going to say back to this person. If they're saying these things to me and talking to them like about what, what they're really being asked for, you know, and, and being taught really like media literacy of like, what is actually the danger of sending an inappropriate picture or actually engaging in conversation with somebody who is offering them for money. Um, even if they're saying it's just to like hang out what we call like sugar daddy and sugar baby in culture that those things are actually conversations.
for these types of things, uh, shedding some light, um, because a lot of these things are done in the dark. Um, and I think the only way we can really uh, bring lasting change in this area is to bring these areas to the light, have conversations about it. So thank you, Abigail, for, for giving us that uh, good information, know what signs to look for in a person that's dealing with this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I don't, there is really a consciousness toward love and, and really build a safer world without exploitation for all of us. So we want, my heart is totally that I want you guys and like everyone who's listening to this to know that like, it is absolutely preventable. You do not need to be paranoid. I always say like the keys are awareness and communication. And if you're doing those two things, like um, in the system of prostitution, um, kind of that myth of the cliche of like the happy hooker. And so the reality really is that the hmm. majority of the people um, who are within the system of prostitution have a lack of choices and that's why they are there. And the reality is the lar um Benjamin Nolo says this quote that's quote, the large, the larger industry we need to be looking at is the global commercial sex industry end quote. And so I completely believe that. And that fits into the bracket of pornography. It fits into um, the reality that, you know, well, porn is sort of like um, this porn is pornography is a result of this porn culture that we all live in, in this sort of normalization of the hypersexualization of women and girls. And that plays into this larger idea that we have in society about who women are and what they want and the illusion that there's sort of like this choice in in women being in the in being inside prostitution, and so I think we have to really think about what is choice. You know, um, one of my favorite quotes is from a survivor from East Africa, and she says, "A choice is only a choice if you have choices." And I think that's really hard for um, those of us to believe who have had um, sort of a, a lot of options our entire life. But the reality is that the women who end up in this industry really do not have um, options, you know, um, that they are really choose like there's really an it's like, am I starving to death or am I going to be in prostitution? And so, you know, that's why our goal as a lot of our the goal in the anti-trafficking mm. movement is really to create non-exploitive work and to bring about options and education and the things that truly prevent women from ending up in the situation where um, they're being exploited. And I say women because 99.9%, according to data, um, of people who are suffering inside prostitution are women. Um, and so that's why I say women generally. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the second one I would say. It definitely mm. isn't a job like any other job. You know, I've worked as a barista, <laughs> back to the coffee, and if someone would have come up to me as a barista and they would have said anything of a sexual or inappropriate nature to me, if they would have touched me in any way, if they would have assaulted me in any way or raped me, it would have been a huge deal. Like it would have, there would have been reports filed, HR would have been called, people would have, it would have been a huge problem. But the reality is when you're inside the system of prostitution, the job is to be compliant with your own sexual abuse. And what that does to your heart and to your psyche and to your experience of living in the world 
is so detrimental. You know, we have reports that say, you know, 99% of women in the life and 96% of women coming out of the life are suffering from massive mental health issues like depression, like anxiety, um, like PTSD. That's the same level as people who are coming out of war zones. And so I think as a society, if we are really going to move toward equality and we're really going to move toward progress, then we have to be aware of, of the reality that um, that's the experience. And do we really want that kind of industry to continue to grow? Um, I would say absolutely not. And that looks like, you know, working to actually, why I say I'm an abolitionist, is abolish the entire system that allows that to take place. The other one would be myth number four, um, which is that no one I know would buy sex. <laughs> and I know that this is a really hard one. The, the truth is that buyers come from all demographics. I know that we kind of have this picture in our mind, maybe again from that sensationalism or the movies, um, that there's like these seedy people who buy sex. Um, but the reality is that they're not just creepy figures who are lurking on the dark web that are fueling, you know, a billion dollar industry that is trafficking, um, that they are lawyers and dentists and teachers and city leaders and stockbrokers and doctors and businessmen. You know, they're, they're absolutely the caricature, caricature of the average Joe. And um, while we may want to think that that's not reality, that's how this industry continues to progress. And so I think as men and women, it's really living as we live in community and accountability, it's having very honest conversations about like things like pornography, because one thing we know is that, you know, not all people who watch pornography are going to buy sex, but we do know all the majority of sex buyers, again, from the data that's been collected, um, have watched pornography. And so where, when we, where we may think one action like watching pornography is quote harmless, which I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that it's not. Um, but the reality there is that that does play a huge role in potentially coming to a place where you are, your heart is so calloused about purchasing a person. And so I, it's really important, I think, to have those open conversations about what that looks like in our communities so that we create accountability and we're really speaking again openly about how important it is to not allow these injustices to perpetuate. Hmm. Great stuff, Abigail. Like that is phenomenal information. Um, I think these are some really good good points and good things to look for to move towards um, away from we talked about earlier this trendy activism like you know somebody will um, do a red x on their hand the end it movement and post a picture and that's it you know um, and move towards knowing these things be educated um, and actually get in the fight you know do some actual work um, in this. So the, the next point I want to hit on, um, you know, you, you've brought up, um, pornography and the, you know, the porn industry, um, is directly tied to trafficking. Um, and you, the, the protest was against MindGeek, the, you know, the parent company of Pornhub, one of the largest, 
um, pornography platforms. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about how pornography yeah, and yeah. So, trafficking uh, intersects. It intersects in a lot of ways. So kind of going back to um, the idea that, right, like the majority of men who, um, that are, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The, um, the men, who are, men who are purchasing sex have had previously pornography addictions and not previously, I'm sorry, have pornography addictions. And so they're, they're, they're watching porn is creating this great, greater and greater and greater demand to go further and further and further. And that intersects with sex trafficking in this reality that, you know, again, from just firsthand experience, you know, being with um, men who are caught buying sex, that the reality is they wouldn't have cared, um, they say, if they knew if a girl was trafficked or not trafficked. And so the people who are purchasing these women um, don't have, don't even, you know, have, are, are in a place in their own heart where they don't really have a thought of the well-being and how this person actually got to be where they are because they're so conditioned to this addiction that's causing them to not really see this as a human being. Um, and so, you know, porn is really just recorded rape. Um, I had no countless stories. I will tell one, I have a good friend who is a survivor and she was trafficked into pornography. She was trafficked from, from, from when she was really little. Um, her everyday life looked very normal. She was a straight A student, um, collegiate athlete. She was um, just succeeding in, in a lot of ways. Came home for dinner every single night and um, was trafficked out of her own suburban neighborhood right here in the U.S. and ended up in, ended up being trafficked into pornography. And she, um, the stories of, you know, the, being roofied, being, you know, having things put into you that just lace you with drugs so that you are compliant to your rape again and again and again is just horrific. Um, and this is all... I mean, this is all can be found right now on the internet as, as the realities of, of pornography, but the person watching, they wouldn't know if the person that is in that scene that they're seeing is trafficked or not. Um, they don't know if they've had a gun to their head that day. Um, they don't know. They just don't know. And so I think the realities are that it's just at the very, like pornography is the marketing department for sex trafficking. It continues to showcase these ideas about just society and what, who women really are that truly isn't, uh, that isn't real. That isn't true. Or real. Let me rephrase that. I said that in a very messy way. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, like we saved this sentence and I'm like, it's not working. Okay. Let me rephrase that. Um, but yeah, research has shown that pornography has become, you know, an effective, an effective marketing vehicle that's driving men to purchase sex. And often those pur pur purchases of sex are, are victims of trafficking and exploitation. And so that's really where the intersection happens. And why it's been, why I stood this protest was because of all the women and survivors that I've met over the course of six years that um, have been trafficked into pornography and the reality is that mind geek does not care um that these women have been trafficked um even the girls that have won lawsuits against them their videos are still up on Pornhub today because they care about the bottom line right now more than they care about human life 
And so the reality is having your having your the worst moments of your life. I think any of us, even if you can't relate to um, the the realities of being harassed or raped or assaulted or trafficked, we can all think about the worst moment of our life. And then we can think about how how horrific and embarrassing it would be to have that recorded and on the internet forever. Like nobody wants that. So I think just remembering that that is what pornography mm. is and to have that immortalized on the internet. And as this trafficking survivor bravely stood and said in that video that I initially sent you, like, this is, this is not just, it's not just on the internet. It's like, it's been sent to every single person that I know. Like, it has been like every every human being that I know and love, mm -hmm. my parents, their parents, my dad, his boss, like every person that it like it could be sent to, it has been. And just how traumatizing and truly shaming that is when you're being in a, when you're being put in a position where someone is exploiting you. Um, and so I think, yeah, just just reframing and remembering like these women matter, their stories matter, and no one deserves to have the worst moments of their lives profited off of or recorded forever. Oh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello, hello, hello. I'm here. Can you hear me? This is so weird. Hello? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, did it cut out? Yep. Okay. Yeah. You, 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 you stopped it reframing. Remembering that no one wants to have the worst moments of their life recorded forever, you know, and put on the internet forever or sent to people in their life. And so just remembering that when we are in conversations with people about why standing up against pornography really, really matters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I mentioned it, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned on part one of this, um, but fight the new drug is a great organization to go. I mean, just hear victim stories to hear real stories behind um, women that have come out of pornography being trafficked. Yeah, um, it just gives you a new perspective. Agree. I think, you know, hearing stories of a woman um, who have survived pornography is so key to us, from like kind of re removing the veil from our eyes and sort of that lens that gets put on us from the culture about what really is happening. And I think just, um, yeah, continuing to seek out that, the, those real testimonies is huge. I agree. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. I think it goes to a sense of reorienting ourselves because we're so bombarded uh, with this culture from the time we're old enough to know what uh, any type of uh, sexual acts are. Um, it's hard to get our, our ways of thinking off of that. And so I think the, that those stories are so powerful because they reorient us back to what is true. Yes, really I think that's a great key to remember. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing that I want to I want to get your thoughts on Abigail, especially this year, twenty twenty, um, just everything that's happened with um, injustice. So, a a popular phrase 
you will hear come out of the um, evangelical church um, when it comes to talking about pornography or injustice or anything like that. You'll hear, you know, just preach the gospel. You know, you, you don't you don't need to get in the intricacies or directly talk about these issues. What what would you say as a follower of Jesus to that kind of thinking yeah, that well think we just need to preach the gospel? Addressing culture, I think addressing the issues in injustice and in culture upholds the integrity of the gospel. And what I mean by that is the reality is Jesus spent a lot of time with a lot of people who had a different world, like were living in the world who came from all different backgrounds, socioeconomic, um, cultural, all different types of ways. And I think that we have to, I think that he, the way he was in the world was that he showed up to where people were and he loved them where they were at. And that is what gave him the doorway mm. to tell them the really good news. So I think that if we're not um, if we're not engaged in the culture, Amen. if we're not engaged in addressing the felt need of the people around us, then like why would they want to hear good news? Like why would a woman who's you know stripping mm-hmm. here in Dallas, who's trying to feed her kids, who got kicked out of the of the church for X, Y, or Z reason, want to hear me talk about the good news if I haven't even sat down with her? and like met her felt need and, you know, gotten her like a hot meal and like just cared about her as a human being. Like, why does she want to hear anything I have to say? And mm. so I think we mm. have to remember like the way of Jesus, not just the words of Jesus, the way he was in the world. He. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes back to what you said, Jonathan, about the, you quoted one of our old pastors I said building relational bridges that bear the weight of truth. I think that's, that's pertinent to this conversation. Um, just that's what meeting the needs of people. And that's when I look at Jesus's ministry on earth, I see that he met uh, the needs of people um, before he started talking, you know, speaking into their lives. You see that very clearly um, meeting those physical needs up front um, is so powerful. And Um, this is selling all of us short. I do want to be clear on that. Like the culture and porn culture, this like idea that is casting men as sexual predators and women as sexual objects is selling all of us short on who we really are. Um, This isn't just about getting men to not by women in the sex, mm. in sex trafficking or in the sex industry or, you know, help assisting women in their exit. I want to be clear that my heart and desire is that everyone gets to step into their unique destiny with God. And so the, this whole lie that culture is perpetuating is so much less um, than who we really are. And so I think just remembering that as we are like having these conversations with people. And I think, especially if you have someone in your life, you might be listening to this and you're like, Oh, I know someone who's addicted to pornography or maybe I'm addicted to pornography. I want you to know there's like, there's so much grace for you. There's so much grace for you and goodness for you and recovery. And, and I want you to be able to step into everything you are. Um, And so I think that is so huge that we don't get stuck in like, 
shame, but that we actually know that like, there's, there's so much more for me. Hmm. Hmm. Amen. Thank you and for think, saying that. I think also, I think what you were saying just brings back that um, anybody we're helping or walking alongside, whether they've been um, in the, these situations that we're talking about now or just any hard uh, traumatic situation in life or just life in general is heavy for them, um, giving hope is probably one of the most powerful things we can do. And, and giving hope uh, can be as simple as what you said doing, giving them that hot meal. Uh, coming alongside them, encouraging them, giving those words about, you know, kind of uh, affirmation and and saying, you know, you can do this um, and you are worth, you do have uh, worth in this world. Uh, Just because some, someone did something to you doesn't mean that that is who you are. And so I think that that that's so powerful when we walk with any person who's dealing with a dark season is just giving that hope to that person. And that's probably one of the most powerful things for a person to get from point A to point B and walk yeah, that, uh, that season of recovery, whatever just they're going through. people to know, like, we have so much hope as followers of Jesus. Like, our hope isn't in the fact that we're going to totally reform every system in the world. Like, my hope is what Hebrews talks about, like, that we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm-hmm. And the reality that, like, that's what we're moving toward. And I want as many human beings to to be there with us as possible. Hmm. Um, and I know that if Jesus was walking around hmm. the earth today, he hmm. would be hanging out with a lot of people who had been exploited and a lot of people who are being trafficked because that was where the felt need for love is. And I know he would be hmm. sitting hmm. with them Absolutely. and approaching them and just loving them where they're at. And so I think as we journey toward that and sort of pass this hashtag world <laughs> that you know, knowing, knowing the facts and taking the time to really learn from people who Mm -hmm. are, you know, allies like me or survivors of this, of pornography or sex trafficking is huge. And just like joining the movement, you know, this is something that we can all be involved in, something Mm. we can make a part of our lifestyle. Um, Something that we can, instead of, you know, purchasing one thing, Mm. instead of purchasing regular chocolate, we can start to purchase fair trade chocolate and we can, um, address human trafficking that way. You know, we can talk about the reasons we don't watch porn mm. with people openly. Um, we can send books to people. You know, we can actually participate in ending sexual exploitation. And that's huge. You know, that is, it's, it's, it, that's for me moving the needle forward mm. and really creating cultural change. And that's not just changing or the earthly culture. I really believe that's bringing heavenly culture to earth. Hmm. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. I, I heard a quote by um, one of David Platt's pastors the other day, and he was specifically talking about racial injustice. But I think this also it absolutely equates to this situation. Um, you know, when you hear people say, just preach the gospel, that's all you need to do. Um you know, he, he said whenever people say that, he feels like that we as believers will scared that we're going to move away from missions or evangelism. And the thing that he said, he was, he said, I'll submit this. If we don't talk about injustice, injustice, 
then we will undermine evangelism because we have a culture that wants to see receipts. We have a culture that wants to see that this God that we serve is good, that this God we serve is loving, that this God we serve does care. Um, so I believe like we will, you know, I, I was like, yes, like we're going to undermine evangelism. We're going to undermine missions if we don't talk about these things, if we don't talk about human trafficking yeah, um, and taking actionable that. steps to ending it. so true. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we, we get overwhelmed because we're sort of inundated by all this information that's on social media. And we start to feel like, oh gosh, like it's just, it's sort of like, uh, what about, you know, somebody says one injustice and then the, somebody wants to talk about a, a different injustice. And that happens a lot, I feel like, right now between this racial injustice and human trafficking. And I think that we just remember we can't, again, we can't compare injustices. You know, there's that it's it's not a dichotomy. It's not a zero sum game. You know, it's not an either or. It's a yes and. And I completely agree with that reality that we, mm-hmm. again, it's, yeah, upholding the integrity of the gospel and truly um, looking like Jesus in the lives that we live requires us to engage you know it requires us to address systematic issues jesus was all about addressing systematic issues (laughs) he was like you are he's like you're following the law you're doing these things Hmm. and it doesn't work and it doesn't look like me and it doesn't look like love and so i think just really Hmm. truly being Hmm. okay with like Hmm. engaging in that and being okay with like the fact that it's gonna be messy like I ran a social justice book club with one of my friends and we have people from all different faith backgrounds, people who don't believe in Jesus. And I was a little discouraged the other night. I was like, Oh, I don't know like how much of an impact this is making. Like, I don't know how much people are being impacted, like to truly know Jesus's love through this. And then somebody in the book club said, you know, I'd be really open to Christianity if I saw the church really care about injustice. And I was like, wow, that's so powerful. And hmm. just like that testament of like just a small hmm. thing that I can do, which is like have a book club, which is not that big of a deal. Um, the fact that that like was just one little thing that pushed the needle in the direction of like, yeah, I could, I could be open to hearing about Jesus. And so I think, yeah, our hmm. part of our role in hmm. sort of like the muddiness of this whole thing which is injustice is just like actually showing up and 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 really living our lives in a way we're like yeah i deeply care about any assault that's coming against the image of god and so you know that's really what injustice is you could look at that as racial injustice or the commercial sex industry or like any of those would be just an assault that's coming against the image of god and I want to approach that with truth and with love. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. And to, to kind of frame all the things that you're talking about together, um, and, and thank you so much for sharing all these points. They're so good. They're so rich and shedding light on this particular topic. Um, what are some resources um, that you have found helpful um, in your journey uh, to fight uh, this issue? Um, and what's kind of uh, pushed you yeah. and um, well, given you this I, passion, passion for what you do every day? Jesus. Um, 
but it's definitely him and, and everything he's done in my life mm. um, of just showing me how deeply he loves me and teaching me to receive his love. And it's truly rooted in that. Um, there's no way that I would have mm. be doing this after six years because I totally, after three months, I was like, I'm good, I'm done. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have anything else. Um, so this is not mm. like mm. my work. Um, mm. This is a partnership with with Jesus and walking with him mm. Um, mm. to encounter the world's need um, with his heartbeat. That's mm. my desire. And so that's truly where my fuel comes from. Um, and so I would say in terms of, I'll kind of say like mm. social justice wise, um, if you want to like learn more about um, how to be a part of the anti-trafficking world, I would say it would be huge um, for you to pick up the book called Paid For by Rachel Moran. Um, that book is really, I feel like it's going to tell you everything that is the reality of what it really is like to be in prostitution. And I think that will really help reframe maybe some beliefs we have about like women just want to be there or even the sensationalized nature of what we think that that looks like from movies like Pretty Woman. Um, and so that would be one thing I would say. Um, that's not a Christian book, but it's it's going to be hard to read. It actually took me a year to get through the first time I read it um, because it was so hard to witness her pain. Hmm. Um, but it was really very well worth it. So if you want to dive in, that's one. And then the second one I would say would be In Pursuit of Love by um, Rebecca Bender and also just Rebecca Bender as a resource herself. So she is a human trafficking expert and that's not like a flippant thing. You actually have to be sworn in as a human trafficking expert to pass like real tests and it's not easy. Um, and she's a survivor of the commercial, sex commercial sexual exploitation. And she has, yeah, so In Pursuit of Love is her book, but also just her as a resource you guys can go through her Instagram, her website. Um, she has a lot of resources for people that I think will be huge um, for you if you are just starting out on this journey and learning. Um, she breaks things down in a way that's really easy to understand. And even if you're not, um, I learn stuff from her literally all the time. So it's really super great tools. And then I would say for um, resources on pornography specifically, Yes, Fight the New Drug is amazing. If you're looking for like a little bit more one-on-one -on -one type stuff, I would say um, there is Noah Church wrote a book um, that is called Whack that I would recommend looking into. And he also does one-on-one -on -one coaching. So if you're dealing with an addiction and you know you need um, accountability and maybe for a variety of reasons, um, you don't have anybody in your life who would be great for that. I would recommend looking into that. And then She Recovery is for women. Um, so that's a website and you can look into Crystal is the founder of She Recovery into that also if you need one-on-one -on -one resources, really huge. Um, and then also for pornography, follow Lila Micklewaite. She is, um, the her op-ed started the entire movement toward um, taking down Pornhub as trafficking hub and is the reason we had the protests and such. And so definitely staying in touch with her work and the trafficking hub campaign 
um, would be key for sure. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link, um, put all these in the description. Um, so you guys, um, have them available at your hand so you can look into these. Um, before we wrap things up, I want you, Abigail, I want you to give a good first step towards moving away from simply words and hashtags, the, what we've said, the trendy activism. What is a good, actionable first step for somebody um, to start working and in, in, in pushing yeah, so against this area of injustice? To go to Rebecca Bender's website and take her quiz, Find Your Lane. Um, because what happens a lot of times when you start learning about any injustice is you get overwhelmed and you don't know what to do. And you're like, how do I do all the things? That might be your response. Or you just like, I'm, you can't do anything because it's so overwhelming. So if you take the Find Your Lane quiz, you're going to figure out like where your giftings and the needs of the anti-trafficking movement intersect. So I recommend taking that quiz. And then from there, um, she's going to give you like a list of, of ways that that could be um, done in your community. And I would just start Googling, Googling what you can get involved in. And you can reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out to me. You guys can slide into my DMs. I people do all the time and ask me, you know, is this organization legit? Is this reputable? What do you think of this? Um, feel free to do that. And if you are just looking for some guidance, I know that it's overwhelming. Um, so yeah, that would be my recommendation for your step one. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll put your Instagram in the um, description yeah, as well. So people can that's find great. you and follow along. Awesome. Well, Abigail, thank you again very much for graciously um, coming on here and having this conversation with us, shedding um, some light in some dark areas um, and moving us from questions yeah, and misunderstandings to change. Chat with you guys today. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and uh, coming on and talking to our our listeners. And I know that they'll appreciate it very much. I know we've a, we, it's been a blessing for you to be here um, and just hear your story. I know we had some time to meet before the podcast and just hear a little bit more about you and who you are personally. And I want to thank you uh, for allowing us it, to step into what you're doing you and being a part me. of that. Absolutely. Well, that wraps it up, guys, for another episode of the Peaks and Valleys podcast. Um, again, I'll have everything that um, all the resources that Abigail told us in the description of her Instagram. Um, so you can guys can take that next first step um, from questions and trendy activism to some real change in this area. So. We will catch you guys on the next episode of the Peaks and Valleys podcast.